Uh, we're going to say together a creed, a modern creed of the church. Um, it's a beautiful piece. Um, shall we? Let, let's, let's remain seated for it. Why not? Um, so maybe if you'll read it with me. Um, let, let's read it together. We believe that we, the church, are the bride of Christ, seen by him as surpassingly beautiful, the object of his great love and desire. We believe his bride is the crown of the new creation and that for the joy of being united to her, Jesus endured the cross, dying to bring her forth and to present her spotless without wrinkle and full of glory. We believe we are the temple of the living God, a home for the Father, a building for his spirit in which he might dwell in all his glory blessing the world with the wonder of his presence and living among his people forever. We believe we are the family of God, made brothers and sisters in Christ, a bond stronger than blood. We know that our fathers desires us to love each other, taking care of each other's practical needs. We understand that if we only love in words and not with action and in truth, then the Father's love is not truly in us. We believe we are the body of Christ on earth, called to live in mutual dependence and honour, acknowledging our need of every person in our community, knowing that God has given them gifts for the functioning of the body. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for the body. We are not individuals. We understand that to see the gifts in their power, we must dismantle the idols of consumerism and individualism, seeking the glorious unity of his body. We acknowledge God's passion for his bride, his temple, his family, his body, his church. We declare our commitment to her to be inseparable from our commitment to Christ. We join him in bringing forth the glory of his vision. Amen. Our Bible reading tonight is found in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. And you can find that on page 927 of the Pew Bibles. Jonah chapter 1. Okay, Jonah chapter 1, page 927. This is the word of God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down, and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. 
Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. They took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Carl, thank you very much indeed for leading us so beautifully in our worship. Thank you to the team. And how lovely is this to be here tonight and to see all your lovely faces. This is a joy, I can tell you. It's a real joy for Claire and myself to be here today and to be able to worship with you this evening. It's been a good year, but you know you've been missed. And maybe you need a little time apart to realize that. Uh, and certainly that's been the case for us. We're delighted to be back here in Bloomfield in so many different ways. Wasn't yesterday great? Quite a number of you were in Drogheda, and uh, just a delightful evening. And it really was uh, a splendid uh, event where we were able, I think as a congregation, to say thank you to Damien and Sarah and to be part of his new life and his ministry. And it was just a great privilege, wasn't it, for us to be part of his life and for him to be part of ours this last year. And it really, I think, is an encouragement to us in our ongoing prayers for him and for the ministry in the South. And to hear Andy Carroll as well yesterday was a great joy, wasn't it? Just to hear indigenous southern voice. I'm going to talk to you some other time about, uh, uh, about how these wonderful things come about and, and God's providence and all that. 
I really will, but it won't be tonight. But there we go. All right, let's, uh, let's just pray together. Our gracious Lord, um, how good it is to be together, a company of your people. Thank you for the opportunity to worship already. And we come before you as needy people, uh, open to all that you have to communicate to us from your word. And so, our gracious Father, will you please grant us the gift of the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the word of the Lord came to Yong Nam Park, an elder of the Presbyterian Church of South Korea, saying, Arise, go to Pyongyang, that great city, and cry against it because their wickedness has come up against me. But Yong Nam Park rose to flee from Seoul, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Busan and found a ship going to Australia. So he paid the fare and went on board to go as far away as he could from the presence of the Lord. Get the picture? Nineveh was the 8th century before Christ equivalent of the nuclear city of Pyongyang. Assyria was the nation equivalent to the Stalinist regime of North Korea, while the elder in the megachurch in Seoul was the 21st century equivalent of Jonah the prophet, who, while a firm and committed believer in the Lord Jesus, did not wish to leave the place where he was presently comfortably serving the Lord and go to the capital city of his nation's sworn enemy even if commanded to do so by the Lord himself. It's not that Jonah was afraid. We wouldn't blame Yongnam for not wanting to go to Pyongyang in order to preach the gospel. Um, Nineveh, like North Korea, had a reputation of imprisonment and horrendous torture and death. But later on in this story, we will find out that Jonah was incredibly brave. For example, he requested the sailors to throw him overboard into the deep blue sea. And even later, we see his pragmatism being prepared to uh, uh, march into the capital city and proclaim the message of the Lord. Uh, No, I don't think Jonah was afraid. He wasn't a coward. Jonah was a bigot. And that was his problem. How do we know that? Well, look over, if you will, at chapter 4, verse 2. After the people of Nineveh repented, Jonah lamented. Aren't those two good words? After the people repented, Jonah lamented. Is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah loved the grace of God when it was for himself, but resented it when it was extended to those not like himself. Jonah loved the gospel when it was for him and those like him, but reacted strongly and protested loudly when it was extended to those who were his political and economic enemies. Now, I've got to tell you, this concept has always been a challenge for me. 
Uh, but I think it has become even more stark this past year. Uh, here, those of us who know the gospel tend to keep the gospel to ourselves. And even when we share the gospel, it is usually to others like us from a similar socioeconomic and political and religious background. Is that not so? We, like Jonah, love the grace of God when it is for ourselves, but we resist sharing it with others not like ourselves. And so often, experience shows it's not so much fear as bigotry that prevents us going outside our comfort zone and obeying Christ's great commission to go to all the world and preach the gospel. But this Bible book tells us that that will not do. That attitude simply is not good enough. As believers in the one true living Lord that we've been singing to and about, we might be comfortable in our own sphere, but God is not. God refuses to be restricted within the narrow confines of our own imaginations. He feels for the Ninevites. And he wants us as much loved and forgiven and faithful servants to feel likewise, to feel for those who we regard as our enemies, but he does not. But Jonah didn't want to feel. God said, go, and Jonah said, no. God said, go to Nineveh, that great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come upon me. But Jonah rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting, is it not, that uh, God has no difficulty making himself known. Jonah's problem wasn't that he didn't know what God was saying. Jonah's problem was that he didn't like hearing what it was that God was saying. Sometimes people complain, even, even Christian people, God doesn't speak to me the way that he spoke to people in the Bible days, but actually what they really mean is I know fine rightly what God is saying to me through the words of the Scripture, and I don't like it. And that's why I pretend he hasn't made himself plain, and I will choose instead to behave in the way that I want myself. And so go the opposite direction. The problem is not with God being silent. The problem more than likely is with me being disobedient. And it wouldn't surprise me, not one little bit, if some of us here tonight were in exactly that position. God has made himself plain. He has communicated. You know how you are to live, but you're saying, I don't want that. God is saying go and you're saying no. The Lord has revealed his good and his clean and his perfect plan but you're resisting. Well, Jonah chapter 1 tells us that that's not a very good idea because at least two reasons. 
ultimately none of us can get away from God. That's the first reason. And secondly, resisting God only leads to misery and a downward spiral of negativity. Can we see that? Jonah went down to Joppa. Do you see that in verse 3? He went down. That word is deliberately there. And when he was in Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish. He went on board down into the hold of the ship. And eventually in chapter 2, we see he went down to the depths of the sea. So it's not a good idea to resist the will of God. We can try. We can run away. We can flee. But as Psalm 139 tells us, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, you shall hold me. When we attempt to resist the perfect will of God, it's a downward spiral. Down, down, down that only leads to misery and pain, not only for us, but for everybody else around us as well. But you say, is it not the case that when Jonah went down to Joppa, there just so happened to be a ship ready and waiting for him to take him to Tarshish? What a providence! As somebody has put it, when running away, you can always find a ship. If we're not guided by God, circumstances will lead us. And where did circumstances lead Jonah? But down. Remember the prodigal? On leaving his father and his father's home, the younger son's life spiraled negativity. It's always down, running away from the Lord. Whereas we can find in chapter 2, there are no depths too deep for Jonah to further sink into before he comes to himself and starts his journey home. The book of Jonah, by the way, is given to us not as an example for us to follow, but as a character whose experience is given to us to prevent us having to go through what he did. It's given in order to save us from experiencing the same downward spiral, this pain of self-inflicted misery, resisting a kind and good and merciful God. Talking about kindness and mercy and goodness, it's interesting to see where else in this chapter uh, we can see those qualities. Uh, Well, obviously, it's found in the maker of heaven and earth, isn't it? Um, But kindness and mercy and goodness is also seen, not in the life of Jonah, but in the actions of the sailors the pagan sailors. Uh, Having discovered from Jonah who he was and dragged out of him a reluctant testimony, do you see that in verse 9? I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord of God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. We see demonstrated by the pagan sailors the most remarkable kindness and generosity of spirit imaginable. Verse 13, the men rowed hard to bring the ship back to land, but they couldn't for the sea grew more and more Uh, tempestuous against them. So in spite of Jonah having got them into this disastrous situation, these non-believing sailors who neither knew nor loved the Lord God did more than they needed to do, far more than Jonah deserved 
and they saved his life or tried to. Do you find that disconcerting? I do. Here are unbelieving pagans showing far more kindness and goodness and love than Jonah, who had experienced the grace and the mercy of God. Made in the image of God, although unrecognized by them, these sailors demonstrated far more basic humanity than the redeemed prophet. Now, obviously, their goodness wasn't enough to save them. It is by grace you are saved through faith, not through any works that we do so that no one can boast, Ephesians chapter 2. It's not what we do that impresses God. Even our best efforts, we're told in Isaiah 64, are like filthy rags when measured against God's absolute purity. Um, so they were good, but it wasn't their goodness that impressed God. But, but tell me this, which is more shocking, the kindness of these unregenerate pagans or the selfishness and lack of feeling by Jonah, the Hebrew worshiper of the one true living Lord? When I was first writing this script, um, I read an item on BBC News, maybe you saw it too, where somebody in America had refused to give their uh, waitress a tip because they had an LGBTQ tattoo. Did any of you see that? Fair enough. You say nobody has to give a tip to anyone, but not when you see what they wrote in the bill. Can't tip someone who doesn't love Jesus. Isn't that awful? And that went round the world. Christians are mean and nasty. When Christian people, of all people, redeemed by the grace of God, ought to be known for their generosity, not because people are deserving, not because they're nice, but because God in Jesus is merciful and he is good. So the really shocking thing is not that these pagans were kind, but that Jonah, the believer, was not. And so as we can see, amazingly, these pagans who demonstrated more kindness to Jonah than Jonah demonstrated to them, then astonishingly cried out to Jonah's God. There are no ends of surprises in this chapter. Do you see in verse 14, we beseech you, O Lord, that's the Lord of heaven and earth. That's who they were crying to. We beseech you, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done what has pleased you. And so as Jonah requested, they took him up, they threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then verse 16, here's the most astonishing thing. Then they feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Could you say that they had been converted? Not because they had been kind. Not because Jonah had behaved well. Not because he had been a good example of how a believer should live, but because of the gospel. 
The good news that God loves us, not because we're lovely, but because God is a God of grace. That's why they were able to cry to the living God. Sometimes Christian people get worried, by the way, when the person who led them to faith in Christ falls away. Or gets anxious when the person who preached Christ to them failed to live a consistent Christian life. Now, that's when we need to remember that it's the gospel that saves. It's not the person who spoke it to us. In another part of the Bible, which I was just reading recently, is Numbers 22. Um, There we see that God was able to communicate to a man called Balaam through a donkey. Now, if God's able to use a silly ass to teach somebody about himself, maybe he can use even us. But what the Lord Jesus wants, of course, is when the messenger and the message come together, where there's a clear uh, witness, the one who communicates the the message, exemplifies the message he is proclaiming the gospel uh, by the way she or he lives, reflecting the loveliness and the beauty of the Lord Jesus. And of course, Jesus was, was everything. Everything he said, everything he was, was consistent and beautifully together. That's, that's what we, we find as our example of Jonah. Well, we're nearly finished. But there's just one final thing I think I want us to see before we leave chapter one. Why do you suppose this book has been given to us? Well, we've already seen it's, it's not as an example to follow. Uh, Jonah isn't our hero. Uh, is this as a warning that when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, that means we must be disobediently running away from the Lord? Well, if that's the message, how do we interpret John chapter 6 when the disciples who were in the very presence of Jesus were in the middle of a storm? So it can't be that. Jonah chapter 1 ends by reminding us that it is only as one person offers himself up on behalf of the many that the many are rescued, that the many find salvation. That's it. Will I say that again? It is only as one person offers himself up on behalf of the many that the many are rescued, the many are saved. Jonah isn't our hero, but Matthew chapter 12 tells us that Jonah, eight centuries before the Lord Jesus, points to the one who is our hero. And there, amazingly, astonishingly, Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet that the Lord Jesus directly compares himself to. Even as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So here we see in this story, even as Jonah, even as a reluctant servant offers himself up and is thrown into the sea so that the storm might be calmed and the people be saved. So on the cross, 
the lovely Lord Jesus willingly offered himself, the innocent for the guilty, so that we who deserve nothing but death might in fact live. The sailors, for all their goodness, wanted to save themselves. They couldn't. It required a substitute to die their death so that they could be safe and sound. Now, if that is what God has done for us, given Jesus as a rescue mission, granted his one and only son to pay the price for our salvation. Does that not create within us some sort of feeling? Some sort of thankfulness or generosity or compassion and mercy and love towards people we wouldn't even naturally like. So in a world that knows little of God, we might live thankful and generous and compassionate and merciful lives. God speaks. He has no difficulty making himself known. When God communicates, we're to obey. We can't do that by ourselves, but we can with the strength and empowering that God gives. Now the word of the Lord has come to us this evening. Go. Go to the great city and cry against it because their wickedness has come against me. Go to that place. Go to the people God loves in order to proclaim the gospel that alone can save. And our response is Let's pray. By your mercy, Lord, will you deal with us according to our need and according to your great mercy? And together we want to say thank you for Jesus who is the one in whom we can rest and utterly depend. So we give ourselves to him gladly and for your glory.